Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining our podcast. This is Cindy Carter and Carmela Toller bringing to you Good Life Conversation, exploring social role valorization and life-wasting prevention for people with disabilities. These conversations are for everyone. Maybe you have a disability, care for someone with a disability, or you are just curious about how people with disabilities are devalued every day right before your eyes. We can explore these topics and others during the Good Life Podcast. Welcome to the Good Life Podcast. I'm Cindy Carter. And I'm Carmela Toller. And we are on the road in New York City. We are thrilled to have in our studio today, Andrew Oliver. Hello, everyone. We are here to find out more about Do For One organization. Andrew, can you tell us what is Do For One organization? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Do For One is uh, a relationship building program for people with disabilities. Um, We primarily serve adults 21 and older, and we uh, build one-to-one freely given relationships between valued and devalued people. Um, These relationships are purely freely given and um, most of the time these relationships end up lasting for a long time. When did um, Do For One come about? Mm -hmm. How did it start? Well, I think the best way to to tell the story, a medium-length version, is to say that um, I was born and raised in a small town in Illinois. I moved to New York City 19 years ago as a musician and I thought that this would be my big opportunity to, uh, you know, to, to go into the big city and, and, mm-hmm. and, and follow the, the musical aspirations and cultural aspirations of the city. But little did I know, um, a number of detours in my life led me to working for an agency that uh, supported people with developmental disabilities as a way of helping them get involved in their community by way of volunteering and finding work. And the first person that I was assigned to work with was a man named Tony, Tony Brooks. And Tony Brooks was institutionalized at the age of six years old. He was, um, like many were at the time, pressured. Um, his parents were pressured by the medical professionals to, um, to be sent away to an institution. And so Tony spent um, from ages six to 16 living in Willowbrook State School. And then he was transferred over to Gouverneur Hospital um, until he was a young adult and then By that point, um, group homes were starting to be implemented throughout the city and he eventually got some group homes. And then I met him and, you know, you know, juxtapose somebody who lived a life like that and somebody who lived a life like mine, where I had the benefits of having grown up with my family and my Mm -hmm. two older sisters and many, many experiences that experiences that I now see as extraordinary privileges. um, meeting someone like Tony and, and getting to know him, um, I immediately went in thinking that I'm going to change his world. And um, But what was good for my ego in the truest sense was that um, Tony was an authenticity sniffer. He wouldn't put up with fluff. Mm-hmm. And so he saw right through my smile and my her- hero- heroism. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the cake uh, coming out of your thing. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, He rolled his eyes at all that. He wasn't buying into it. In hindsight, I realized that one of the reasons he wasn't buying into it is because he's had many people come and go saying the same things, mm-hmm. you know, and that really spoke to me. It was actually two weeks until I was able to inspire him to uh, get out of his bed and go into the community, which was 
my primary responsibility was to support him to go into the community, you know, community inclusion. Community. We love those buzzwords, right? Mm-hmm. And so I realized how hard it actually actually is. In, in, in the He's end. never known community. Right? His community was Willowbrook, right? Yeah. So you throw a word like community inclusion to someone like Tony, it's, it's foreign language. Mm-hmm. Um, finally, uh, when we did leave the first first day that we left, for a while I was sitting outside, just outside the apartment building, just to get fresh air. By the time we walked up the block, a few blocks, we went to Borders Bookstore. Um, and I miss Borders Bookstore. It was mm-hmm. a nice, well-put-together mm-hmm. well, well put together right. bookstore with Dean and DeLuca, mm-hmm. coffee shop. <laughs> and this was back in the day when you would listen to CDs and you would like you would scan them and put headphones on. And, you, yes. and they would give you 30 seconds. Um, he loved Borders Bookstore. His eyes opened wide and it was like a, a, a world to him that he could explore. Because there's magazines and there's books of all kinds and there's all kinds of music that he's never had the chance to listen to before. And I didn't realize just how segregated people really were until I experienced the Borders Bookstore with Tony. And what was heartbreaking was the realization that he had lived at this particular group home for seven years and he did not know that this Borders Bookstore existed two blocks blocks away away. from where he lived. So, musician from Illinois, you know, thinking, Mr. Cool, I'm going to come and make it to the big time, whatever. <laughs> and I find myself with Tony, you know, and, and Tony, he changed my world, you know. I, little did I know that that would happen. And, and I, beyond my paid role in his life, I was inspired to um, just stay in his life, you know. I, I, over After two years after I'd worked with him, I was given the opportunity to work full-time so my caseload changed Mm -hmm. no longer able to work with him on a paid basis but I just knew that Tony was in my life for a reason and so I I stayed in his life he stayed in mine and that's when things really opened up in a way that was um that was special I was able to go see him on the weekends I was able to take him to church with me I was able to do the stuff that wasn't bound by the constraints of a paid role and I saw the, the power of that. Um, I also saw that over the longevity of our relationship that there's a power in, in being a citizen and being an advocate, you know, being a, a citizen advocate in the sense that I was going into his group home and going to these life plan meetings and things like that as an unpaid friend. And there was power in my voice because I didn't have to be there. No one could fire me. No one could tell me right. what to do. There was no supervisor. It was time. Yeah. No, yeah. No, no. Exactly. So I was able to speak my mind and, and, and represent him the best way I knew that he wants to be represented, but struggled to do so because he was very emotionally intelligent, but his vocabulary was limited in large part because of no education. Right. He was in Willowbrook. So his, his broken speech was something that needed to be interpreted from somebody who knew him for a long time. And I was that person. And I kind of just stumbled into it. it was, none of this was intentional. Right, I, can only, right. I can only talk about it this way in hindsight. Right, right. But in real time, it was just intuition, I guess. Kind of like, oh, well, actually, I, actually, I don't think that's what he meant. I think what he meant was this. Right. And that, those, little, those little representations that I was able to do on his behalf changed the trajectory of his life, his adult life, in and, and some small ways, but in some significant ways, you know. He ended up actually getting a job at Planet Hollywood in Times Square. Oh, how cool. oh my God. Yeah. And one, and one of the reasons why was because one of his phrases was, I want to keep my mind occupied. 
And what's the way staff interpreted that was, okay, well, there's this and that program, and we're going to the museum on this day, on Saturday, and things like that. But then I spoke up and said, I think actually what he means, when I've had conversations with Tony about how he wants to keep his mind occupied, is he wants to he wants to work. He would like to have a job where he's actually making a real contribution. And he knows when he's not really being not really giving a contribution. He's smart enough to know this. You know? Like we the token is not a lot. working for you. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And that and I think that's a mistake that oftentimes we make is we think they're not gonna know any better or something like that. But oh, Tony knew. And he would get angry many times when people underestimated him. So long story short, I kind of fumbled into this power of freely given relationship just by getting to know him. Sadly, he died in 2014. Um, uh, and I mean, you know, from this day till now, like I, the, the foundation of Do For One is essentially the relationship that I had built with him. So how long did you know Tony? I guess it would have been, um, nine years nine or ten years something like that yeah 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 yeah. and my family got to know him i mean Mm -hmm. even when my family visited from illinois Mm -hmm. i would make sure that they got to meet tony and tony got to meet them you know because he was somebody whose family abandoned him and and, uh, i think him being around my family felt he felt the warmth of that even though it wasn't his family it was being in a family-like environment meant a lot to him and then when i got married he was able to travel to our wedding it was his first and only wedding he had ever been to in his entire life. Wow. Was oh, it a destination wedding? It was in uh, Ber- uh, Florence, Alabama. Okay. Wow. So he was able to travel outside the city, which was his second time traveling outside of New York City. So in short, Do For One is inspired by that relationship thinking Tony needs, people like Tony need freely given love. People like me who think the world is all about climbing up the, uh, the, uh, the ladder of success and becoming more powerful and more influential is the life. And I was hearing that from my peers, you know, a restlessness about this world's broken and all this injustice and what do we do? And meanwhile, I'm, I'm getting to know people like Tony and I'm thinking, well, what about just learning to become a friend with one person who's experiencing this injustice? What, how about we start there? You know, And I found that people resonated with that and they found, they found that doable and also compelling because at the end of the day, I think what we all know deep down is that relationships is what counts most. Absolutely. It's the most right. authentic way right. of responding to right. any given need. And so you might say, you know, fast forward to now that we've made a lot of relationships similar to that, you know, where our invitation is to enter into one person's life and to see what you can see what you can the two of you can make of it and it's been a beautiful thing since so how many relationships today it's 60 60 one by one one by one (laughs) yeah one by one slower slower start but then over the over the years we've gained some momentum and the more stories that can be told and more examples that can be shared the more likely you can inspire others to take action and so on and so so yeah, it's been pretty, pretty incredible. It's kind of humbling to think about. So how do you match people? Because you know we could have 15 people in the room, and you're just going to connect with certain people more than you are others. Mm-hmm. So how do you do that as an organization? How do you mm-hmm. match people that might have a potential friendship together? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think on one hand you can think, well, 
most of us find friendships simply by being in a room with people and then we gravitate towards each other and we become friends. But we live in a society that where our minds are, are, are conditioned to gravitate towards people who are like us or gra gravitate towards people who we think are like us, at least by appearance. And, you know, as, as you know, and I'm sure the listeners know, um, <laughs> Uh, there's a deep chasm between valued people and devalued people. And it's a, the chasm is real. And do for one recognizes that oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes relationships between a valued and a devalued person is not going to happen unless there is a third party who makes the invitation. Because even when you talk to somebody who has it on their hearts to befriend somebody who might be different or might be in need, there's sometimes, even with the good intentions, there's sometimes a sense of, can I ask for their phone number? Mm -hmm. Would it be okay if I went to see them on Sunday? Or would it, would, is it okay? Like, I don't want to, and, and then the fear, the fears of, um, uh, the person making too many demands on you and not wanting to get kind of sucked in. Right. There's that fear. There's and then there's the fear of, of saying the wrong thing or doing the wrong thing and then ended up like hurting their feelings by, you know, the language wars, for example, around people with disabilities mm -hmm. is, 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 you know, pretty hot and, 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 and that can sometimes cause people to feel like, well, I don't even want to talk to people because I don't want to say the wrong things, you know. So mm -hmm. so the third party, do for one, is to help Ease, ease, ease the situation and, and, and uh, uh, help both people feel more comfortable with getting to know each other and saying, yes, it is okay if you get their phone number, you know? And the reason why I thought that Joe should be Sam is because Sam, he lives in your neighborhood and, and he, he always goes to, he goes to the same softball field that you go to. I mean, you might even have seen him over there. Um, and I just really thought that you could meet him because you're such a kind, wonderful person. And, you know, you're really aff affirming their strengths and their strengths. And you're trying to trying to pair people up in that way. So that's a little bit about it. But I think I think the heart of it is that there needs to be an invitation. And it's an it's it's really an unfortunate necessity that mm. that there needs to be an invitation. You know, um, I, one would hope that people could just gain friendships. Right. But we, I think the reality is, is that we live in a world that um, requires some, a little bit or a lot of work to, to bridge this gap. And I think that's what it is. Do for one, it sounds like it's a bridge to help both of these people that may never meet, meet. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, so their life experience is, is parallel, uh, but their life experiences are so different that yeah. It doesn't feel it doesn't feel more far apart than they are. Yes. Yeah. I saw you at church. Yeah. I hear that so much is that people are afraid to say the wrong thing. So mm -hmm. they say nothing, which is wounding in itself. Right. Yeah. Why isn't anybody talking to me? Yeah. Mhm. Mm mhm. Mm yeah, well, and and not only does it not does does it not tend to happen if people are in the same room, but more often than not people are not even in the same room. You know? I mean, think right. about the example I gave with Tony going to the bookstore. Without my support, Tony could have lived his whole life without ever going to that bookstore. And a bookstore is kind of where you would meet your neighbors, right? right. Like that's right. a place, that's a right. third place, right. where, a third space where you would meet some people. But that just, that, I remember that opened my eyes, I was thinking like, well, Tony needs relationships in his life, but how in the world is that going to happen if he doesn't even 
if he can't even get to places where there are people to befriend. Right. So again, it speaks to the third party that's kind of working this, the mechanics of how do how can we how can we create the opportunity for two people, two unlikely people to to yes. meet. Mm. So, right. yeah. Right. So, what challenges do you have at Do for One, or do you have any? Maybe you mm-hmm. don't. I shouldn't yeah, assume no, that. Yeah. <laughs> no, no challenges. So we live in a perfect world. Yeah. Um. Yeah, there's there's a good number of challenges. I think um, one of the one of the challenges is kind of on both on both sides, right? So, talking about the person with disabilities that we're that we're recruiting to to match them with somebody, uh, typically without a disability or at least somebody who's in value standing in the community. When we're working with that person with disabilities, there's a there's there are multiple layers of challenges. Um, which again highlight the the society we live in, which is devaluing, and also highlighting the the wounded experiences that they've had. So, some some examples are are the, the, the systemic ones, which is um, uh, winning over the, the the family members or the service workers to the idea of you know, allowing this person to meet a friend in the neighborhood and to begin to take some of those risks, right? Um, talk about like dignity of risk, mm-hmm. you know, and this is a, this is one of those opportunities. Um, and so that, that takes some work in, in building trust with people who can, um, who can, uh, allow us to meet these people. And then once we meet people with disabilities, again, because of the wounded experiences that they've had, sometimes what we find is people peel back with, maybe disbelief that such a thing would even be possible for their life or perhaps they've had attempted to make friends themselves but these people have taken advantage of them and so they're thinking oh I don't want to I don't want to try that again I tried that before and they stole from me or I've tried that before and they you know they may have had bad experiences um, in their life as it relates to friendship and so they're, they're just closed off to it so those are the couple of challenges on that side. But then as it relates to recruiting a valued person to voluntarily enter into a person's life, uh, people's time and schedules um, oftentimes is a big challenge for them. So they say, oh, that sounds great, but I don't think I have time right now. And so we, we, we have our ways of, of helping people understand um, how to make time, how it's worthy of sacrificing your time to, to, to enter into this person's life. We live in a transient city, and so and so identifying people who are rooted in New York City, and we never make anyone promise they'll never leave because that's unreasonable thing to ask. But we, but we look for people who seem to be deeply rooted here and who are also willing to enter into a hopefully a long term relationship. And those are just those are harder people to find, you know. Um, I had a chance to speak at a church recently. And I, and I told her to, to share about Do For One, and I told her ahead of time just to be realistic about the expectations. As I said, you know, anytime we speak to 100 people, we'll probably get about two people interested. Right. Amazing. Yeah. And that's good yeah. for us. That's good. That's actually yeah. good. Yeah. 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 Well, I would wow. think people would think, I can't do that. You know, it, yeah. it's just, it's a relationship. That's, that's, you've yeah. never had a friend before. You've never had a relationship uh-huh, before. I mean, uh-huh. that's what it boils down to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. 
so so do for one is a not for profit, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So it, you look for funding to sustain um, a large part of your operation. Like mm-hmm. You're paid. You mm-hmm. need some people who dedicate their time, and if yeah. they dedicate their time, they have to. That's their work. Yeah. So how has that been? Yeah. Well, that's another another another, another challenge. challenge, right? Um, right. And I would say the reason why it's couple of reasons why it's challenging. Fundraising is challenging for any nonprofit, right? Right, right. Um, I think what, what's unique to us is that we are a purely freely given relationship building program. So to your point, a large portion of our funding does go, go towards um, allowing staff to spend time doing the relationship and community building. So sometimes people, funders, they want to give to something that's like a coat drive, something mm-hmm. that's more concrete, easy right. to measure. Right. Relationships are difficult to quantize, and they're 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 difficult to um, to kind of measure the impact and that kind of thing. And we have ways of doing that, but I think at the end of the day, when it comes to what we do, there's no possible way to measure the full impact of what these relationships. And I think that's actually saying a good thing about the impact, right? In the sense that we can't. It's a lot of it's immeasurable, and I think that's a it's a good thing internally for us. We see the value of that, but sometimes it can be hard to communicate that to funders. Um, the other, the other challenge is the, the simply just the numbers, you know, um, you know, our goal is to, is to establish 15 one-to-one relationships this year. Right. And so for us, that might sound good because we know the challenges of to get there. building yeah. relationships for people that we support. However, from the outside perspective, they're looking at one grant that says we serve 15,000 people doing this or that, or we've, yes. we, you know, we gave meals to 5,000 homeless people or we get, so, so they're looking through and then they see 15 relationships a year. Oh, okay. You know? And so that mm-hmm. upon first impression, that may not sound like a lot. However, we have been able to find funding from people who grab a hold of the vision and see the value and see the depth, you know, going deep, not wide. Mm-hmm. And they see the value of that. They see the authenticity in that, I think, because, uh, some people who are observant might notice like, okay, feeding people a meal, that's one thing, but that's kind of a temporary need. Whereas this is potentially like, it's, it's providing a long-term life, 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 potential life changing. Yes. Like, I can give you a fish. I can teach you how to fish. Right. You know, the, it is like that. Yeah. The meal is going to be gone. I'm going to get hungry again. Yeah. The coats, I'm going to outgrow it or it's going to get torn. Yeah. But the relationship, especially not just for a season, right? Yeah. You're really looking for people that are going to stay with this person, yeah. that you guys are going to grow right. old together. Yeah, yeah. So thankfully, we've been able to find people who see the value in that, and, and we've been able to get by okay, by the grace of God. <laughs> we've got, we've, we get some, some funders from like family, friends, individuals who've gotten involved in our program, whether that be an advocate or a voluntary advocate or someone that we've served or a family member. We've also had some churches uh, uh, in the city give uh, pretty significantly. So we've been making it out okay, um, despite the challenges. Mm-hmm. So if someone wanted to donate, how would they donate to Do For One? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, on our website, doforone.org. Um, it's easy website to navigate. You simply go to the donate page. And on that donate page, um, it allows you plenty of ways to give electronically. So you can give straight from the website. You can give via Zelle or Venmo. Um, and um, of course, you can 
write a check and we've got the address that you can send it to right okay. there. So wonderful. <laughs> Thank yeah. you for asking. Excellent. Yes, yes. yes. And Andrew, you also are a fellow podcast, so we need to am, hear yeah. your information about what is your podcast yeah. and where can you find it? Our podcast is called Belonging Together, and um, it's, a, it's an orientation to our work, um, but guided by stories mm-hmm. of, from people who are actually in these relationships. Um, and you can find that also on our website. So you can go to our website, doforman.org, and find the podcast tab. Or you can find us wherever you listen to podcasts. Wow. Apple and Spotify. And all okay. So, yeah, belonging okay. together. Mm-hmm. So what if someone is interested in being an advocate? Mm-hmm. Is that they would contact the website or give you a call? Mm-hmm. Or how is that about? The first, first step for somebody interested in getting involved would be to come to the next quarterly intro to do for one event. Mm-hmm. So we have those quarterly. Right. Um, as of now, it's, it's like, what is it, mid-June? Our next one isn't until September. We just had one. Yeah, you would register to that, and it's an hour and a half long. You get the full scope of the work, the story, the founding story, our core values, and um, what it's like becoming an advocate. That's the first step. Mm-hmm. Excellent. This is so exciting. Um, it is a work that I would like to say to aspire others to take a good look at. Mm. It's a... Uh, piece that a lot of the people um, who have various challenges and disabilities are missing. It's a big part of what they're mm-hmm. missing in, in their life. And uh, it's not easy work, but it's needed work. And uh, we can learn a lot from you. It's hum- humbling <laughs> to hear you say that yeah, because as yeah. I've been getting to know the two of you, yeah. I know I have a lot to learn from you. Yeah. yeah so, this is great. yeah. So this has been a great episode. Again, if you want to contact Andrew to learn more about doforone.org that's here in New York, or maybe you are compelled that you need to do something in your community and start helping people build relationships. We want to thank you, Andrew, for your time well, thank today. Thank you for having we appreciate me. appreciate it. How we can get in contact with you. Yeah, well, you can feel free to email me directly, andrew at doforone.org. That would be one way to do it. Yeah, and um, again, the the website is doforone.org if you want to just kind of check out the site and see some stories and click around. So, Yes, if you know somebody in your neighborhood or someone in your family who is vulnerable due to disability or something else, uh, consider what you can come to mean to that one person, and you'll be surprised at even a little bit how a little bit would make a huge difference. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We want to thank you for joining the Good Life Conversation podcast. For additional information about today's topic, contact Carmela or Cindy at goodlife at L-E-L-H-S dot com. The conversation for a good life for all starts with you.